Can you hear purple? Listen to turquoise? What's the sound of a rainbow? Let's get real. Trying to sell TVs with audio is pretty dumb. So listen to me, Joel McHale. All we want is great-looking TVs with our favorite features, like the quality of Dolby Vision IQ, the smarts of Android TV, and the vibrancy of Quantum.Color. TVs like the Hisense ULED series. Visit Hisense.com and see for yourself. Hisense. Let's get real. From the -the over-the-top mobile studios at Yellow Belly Restaurant in Boulder, Colorado, it's Deep Fried Thoughts time with Michael Friedberg, special guest Alex Howes. Michael, you're going to have a fun one this time. All right, we're here with Alex Howes. And in the past few episodes of this show, we've uh, spoken about bikes and business. And so now we've got someone who uh, is in the throes of a pro cycling career. Um, We've got Alex Howes. How are you doing today, Alex? Uh, You're moving your hands a lot underneath the table, and it's kind of freaking me out. Uh. (laughs) Well, I'm sitting next to it. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm doing fine. It's a beautiful sunny day in Boulder, Colorado. Yeah, man. How long are you in town for this time? Almost a month. And so you just Amazing. got back. You just kind of got back from the classic season. Can you tell us a little bit about how that went? Um, it's a bit of a mixed bag. Personally, I was riding pretty well, but uh, for the team, it wasn't uh, quite what we had expected. Had a lot of crashes and misfortune. You know, general boohoo stuff. Yeah. Um, can you tell us a little bit about how you got into uh, bike racing, kind of up until the professional ranks? Uh, my dad did it back in the day, and I just sort of fell into it and worked my way up. Got noticed by Mr. Jonathan Botters, pulled me on his junior team, and I suppose the rest is sort of history. Did a quick stint in uh, France for a season with BC Le Pont Marseille, and Got my head kicked in and blah, blah, blah. So you kind of came up through the, um, what was it, 5280 back then with a lot of the, the Ian McGregor, Timmy Duggan kind of crowd. And then you did have uh, a period where you were kind of outside of that slipstream umbrella? Yeah, just a season. But for the most part, it was all slipstream. So I got I to gotta give them some credit, I guess. So what age were you um, when you started collecting a paycheck as a professional cyclist? Uh, I think my first real payout was the original Tour Utah on the Cat 3s, or Cat 2s, and we won like 800 bucks a piece, me and Mr. Brady Kepius, and we got it all in ones, and it was the worst decision we ever made, because it's so hard to spend $1 bills. Um, you guys wanted to just live that rap video life? Oh yeah, and, we had this big, have, have we had this big pinwheel of cash. Um... Yeah, but like you spend like forty bucks on gas, a couple drinks at the gas station. Next thing you know, it's like fifty ones. Yeah, it's just singles. It's real pain in the butt. But uh, actual paycheck, uh, I think it's nineteen. Yeah, when I was nineteen, I was the youngest pro continental rider in the world. And that was uh, that was on a slipstream team. Yeah. And now you guys are considered world tour. Is that right? So world tour, <laughs> the world tour ist, yeah. and so in kind of the um, business of professional cycling, uh, you get on a team, and we were talking about this before we hit record. And so obviously, as an athlete, like you have your own hopes and dreams, goals, races that are important to you, um, but you also 
are an employee of a team. So can you explain a little bit about how um, the schedule for each season gets created? Uh, yeah, there's, there's a lot of push and pull. Um, obviously, you have 30 riders, quite typically, on a professional team. and um, Everybody's sort of coming from their own direction. You know, on Slipstream, we have 16 different nationalities uh, and, you know, all different specialize people specialize in different things and uh varying levels of talent and yada yada um and on any given team you'll have four or five different stars and uh it's not it can't be easy to balance all that between you know who wants you know everybody wants you know to win the tour de france but only one guy's going to win the tour de france everybody wants to be the leader of the tour de france not everybody i don't want to do that but um you know, like on our team, we probably have four guys that would wouldn't mind being the leader for the tour. Yeah, and you have to. That means you have to tell three guys no, yeah. or you tell two guys no, and one guy you lie to and say yes, and the other guy you really mean it. Um, but I mean, as a rider, you kind of gotta think ahead and think about what the team is gonna want, what the team is gonna need, and what you're capable of doing, and where you sort of where you sort of fit in. Um, you have a lot of riders that leave teams because they don't, they can't really find their 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 niche within the team, mm-hmm. and they kind of get bounced around and get the races they don't want. Um, and you said that a that a portion of that is seniority. What do you guys have like a Google a Google sign up <laughs> doc and well, like, the, the old the old guys go first? Or I mean, you're someone who likes to focus on yard end, so yeah. I mean, at this point, like I've I've shown myself as being a good one day racer. And I've been with team. This is my fifth year, so I get to do the Ardennes. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it means it's sitting down at the team meeting in November. Um, we're not pulling teeth. Or I'm not pulling teeth trying to get them to yeah. let me do the Ardennes. And so, in November, is that when you uh, have your full schedule for the for the entire racing season built out? November, we usually lay out the first half, and it's pretty typical for most teams to lay out. Um, basically up until the tour um, and the riders that are doing the tour there's usually a long list that's like 12, 13 guys 9 go uh, you know 2 or 3 three or 4 don't um, but nobody really knows what they're doing until after the tour mm-hmm. when, you, when it comes to beyond July mm-hmm. So for every world tour team, uh, the tour is a big focus, right? Like there's really, I mean, that's the that's the biggest one. Yeah, that's that's the biggest one. But I mean, you can see now there's there's a push to try to build up the Giro. Um, the tour is owned by ASO, and they're they're uh, they've been a bit stubborn recently with trying teams trying to build stability into the sport and. Uh, ASO sort of wants to keep teams separated hmm. so that, you know, only the best teams get a get an entry. There's no guarantees. People have to continually fight. They want to keep it, you know, fresh and they they, they don't really want to I mean, right now the big the big fight is over extended racing licenses. So like teams want, you know, 10-year guarantees or you know, something like that. So then you can build stability, you can build a franchise, you can attract better sponsors. 
versus, you know, where we're at now where you sit down and you say, um, yeah, we're, we have a really good team, you know, we have Peter Sagan, you know, we got him signed for three years. And they're like, yeah, well, are you doing the tour for sure? And it's like, well, our world tour license expires in two years. I'm like, we're pretty sure we'll do it. You know, we got Peter, but yeah. we don't have that. There's, you know, there's no 100% guarantee. It's like a 95, and that's enough. 95% guarantee is not a great guarantee for somebody, you know, for a company that's, you know, talking about forking over $50 million. Yeah, definitely. Right. And so um, what, do you, what do you know about the rest of your season? You said you got nationals coming up. Um, what else is on your calendar that's confirmed? Um, <laughs> right now, the two that are confirmed are nationals and Dauphiné. And then uh, I would say it's 85, 90% chance I'll do the tour. Cool. Um, and then after that, uh, don't really know, but uh, Olympic selection is official on June 20th. So fingers crossed for that. And I'm hoping that if I do the tour, um, the legs always come good after a grand tour. So yeah, should have... In theory, if I go to the Olympics, I should have great legs. That's awesome. That's yeah. awesome. So you're so you're planning at your plan right now is to to do the tour, go through the Dauphiné, and kind of build up for that. Yeah, I mean, when you're talking about something like the Olympics, you just kind of go all in. It's like, yeah, I'll do the tour and then the Olympics. <laughs> Very cool. And so, kind of zooming back out into kind of this team structure, um, what does the team provide for you? I mean, do you work with your own coach? Or is that something that kind of goes through the um, the powers that we get slipstream? Um, it's a little different with every team. Some teams you can only work within the the team's coaching structure. You know, they have like five coaches, and they all have a certain number of riders. Some teams there's like a coach. He shows up to training camp. You know, makes everyone train really hard for two weeks, and then like you don't see the guy for. The rest of the year and everyone has their own thing slipstream we have a head coach that's kind of his job kind of oversees stuff um and then everybody else has their own coaches but they have to be approved through the team yeah um you know that that whole uh doping history past is not that that far behind us yeah and so they kind of have to have some checks and balances to make sure People aren't talking to the wrong people. And so who do you work with? I work with Colby Pierce. And you guys have a pretty long-term yeah. coaching relationship? Yeah, yeah, I've worked with Colby since uh, since 2009, but I've known him for probably 18 years now. Very cool. And so then um, what about the sponsorship stuff? I know there's a number of those that are kind of turnkey operations through the uh, title sponsor, but are you able to have any of your own personal sponsors? Um, it's tricky because... So we have, we have sponsors through the team, you know, we have our title sponsor, but then we have like, you know, other, you know, Cannondale is our title sponsor and they, you know, there's a lot of, within their company, they have a lot of, you know, deals done through other companies, you know, like Vision and like FSA and, um, you know, they're like, they're homies with Physique, so like Physique saddles are on their bikes, so we can't ride, so we're like, we're kind of like, yeah. All right. There you go. You're riding physique. Um, not that there's anything wrong with that. Um, but then we have other things like Pac and New Balance and yada yada. 
Castelli. Um, so once you start adding it all up, there's not a lot of bases that they haven't covered. Yeah. So if you're like trying to get outside deals, you know your your options are pretty limited, um, and you almost have to look outside of the sport, um, like yellow belly chicken I, mean, <laughs> I don't think we have any conflicts there seriously we'll get like, you a pair of socks before you roll out of here today <laughs> well you know i have to wear these socks that have new balance on them oh, so i actually know nah. now it's these like really really dumb and i'm going on record saying this really dumb argyle socks you, you heard it here folks <laughs> um and so you know it's kind of it's kind of this interesting thing where you've got the uh you've got the team thing but you're still very much you know, an individual with individual goals and, and uh, you know, kind of constantly having to look out for yourself from, from year to year. So how much does kind of personal brand, you know, play into things? Like I know, you know, Ted King's done a great job of kind of, you know, utilizing social media and all of that. Do you, uh, do you find that personal brand kind of plays into team selection and being um, able to make it as a pro athlete? Yes and no. Um, I mean, at the end of the day, what what teams like really want is they want to win but the reason why they want to win is i guess at the end of the day what they want is exposure yeah and one of the probably the best way to do that is go out and win bike races yeah um the second best is twitter yeah like i can like kill it on twitter <laughs> but like if if iran goes out and wins a Giro, like for sure he's gonna have a couple more followers yeah um but that being said yeah you really you really do have to put yourself out there and um I mean, for personal reasons, but all, I mean, like I said, also for the team. Like, you have a bunch of dudes that you know live under a rock and just show up and head out at every race and win everything, and but nobody knows who they are. Nobody, you know, you can't get a feel for them. Like, it's just it doesn't have the same effect. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, for those of you listening, you guys can't tell how good-looking Alex is, but um, aside from just... That's why you keep moving your hands under the table. <laughs> Absolutely. Aside from just dashing good looks, uh, I don't know, what's, what's kind of the Alex House personal brand? Uh, personal brand? I just... I, I feel like I've done a very good job of trying to make myself the atypical bike racer. Um, and when I say bike racer, I mean professional cyclist um i don't know like first thing i did when i got back we loaded up the truck and just like went out to fruta yeah and, like got on the mountain bike and screwed around out there and just like nobody out there and then we ran into some people and there's this dude and he's like really good at guitar and apparently he's a professional musician and you're like man that's kind of cool and then we just all got wasted on tequila and had campfire single <laughs> that's not the that's not the typical bike racer and like uh, i like down on i like didn't see chris Froome out there anywhere really yeah but you were looking i was looking I and what about him. uh didn't you do kind of uh off the beaten path death valley camp this this uh, winter yeah it was snowing a lot and so i was like oh, we got to get out of here and i thought where's it never gonna snow yeah. Where does it never rain? I was like, it never rains in Death Valley. So we went out there. And it was great during the day, but I didn't realize how god-awful cold it got because we were, like, up in the mountains a little bit. And we had these two, two seven-gallon water jugs that froze solid multiple nights. Wow. Like, it was terrible. Wow. <laughs> it was a good time, but, I mean, just not when the sun went down. 
So that's kind of the atypical approach. It seems like you kind of take advantage of the freedom that being a professional athlete provides you. And yeah, that's that's the thing about cycling is like you have a lot of time when you we race like a hundred days out of the season tops. You know, but that strikes me as a lot. It is a lot, but I mean, I think last year I did like eighty-four. It's funny. I mean, like a World Cup skier would, you know, maybe just be in the low, low double digits of. Yeah, well, you do like twenty-one of them in a row, and then yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. adds up a quick. A couple of week longs and a couple one days, but I mean, that's it still gives you like two hundred days out of the year where, yeah, you got to train, yeah, you got to go to a couple camps, but for the most part, you're kind of free to roam. And so are you someone that usually trains by yourself, or do you have some training partners that... Well, I used to have a bunch of homies here in Boulder, but everybody left. Uh, Taylor's still kicking around. But, um, yeah, I don't know. I guess I'm getting older now. I'm starting to do it all by myself. So what's, uh, what's the best part about being a professional cyclist? best part um i'd say one thing that's pretty cool is uh my passport's pretty full you know you get to go to cool, some cool places i've been to japan been to africa been like brazil uruguay mexico it's like i mean i guess i've been to europe too <laughs> <laughs> are you still um are you still living in girona for part of the season yeah yeah it's pretty easy living there so what's the what's the worst part about being a professional cyclist? Worst part, um, you spend a lot of time hungry. You spend a lot of time, like, alone. I suppose you know you get to you get to go a lot of places, but you get removed from a lot of places as well. Yeah. Um, and uh, crashing, crashing sucks. Yeah. Not so much do it crashing yourself, but it sucks watching your friends crash a lot. That's hard to watch. Yeah. Do you um do you form pretty tight knit bonds with the guy with your teammates from all the traveling, or is there an element of kind of being in competition with them as well? Um. It depends on the person. I mean, there's certainly people that you you just I mean, you'd freaking take a bullet for. But then there's also some days you're just like, you know, they're not going to be around for more than a year or two. Tops. You're just like. <laughs> You're just like, man, who is this guy? Like, fuck this guy. <laughs> <laughs> um, what's the best advice you could give to sort of a recreational bike racer? What level? All levels? Yeah, a recreational level. Somebody's, uh, I would say don't take it too serious. Yeah. I think most people have a, have a bad, bad habit of finding a hobby and then turning their hobby into their whole life. And next thing you know, they're like riding the rollers for three and a half hours in their basement in the middle of winter, you know. And they're just like recently divorced and just like, what are you doing, man? Like, you had it so good and you screwed it up with bike racing. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, that that Cat 2 upgrade is not worth it. Like, it's just not worth it. Like, so save, save your marriage and keep the cat three license yeah. is the best advice. Yeah, like man, go eat a pastry, like do a couple sit ups, do a fun ride with your with your boys. So has just, you, just be happy. So has that always been your approach, or did you 
kind of have to to bounce between the extremes did you ever have like a real type a oh man it's all the extremes that's all pro sports is it's just like you're either on or you're off yeah like you'll never see a party as big as like the finish of the tour de france or like you know just after the iron man finishes like they just go off rails we go off rails you have to like (laughs) It's like the, the then, balances from uh, the pendulum swinging between like, two extremes. So I, I spent all spring with my head in the sand, just like going full gas, intervals, 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 like train hard, ride long, don't eat, blah, blah, blah. And then you come back and you're like, well, shit, I'm throwing the mountain bike in the back of the truck and I'm going to Fruta. I'm going to get drunk in the desert. <laughs> <laughs> like, you just got to do it. So, I mean, what kind of volume, what are big weeks for, uh, for a world tour athlete um i would say like 30 hours is probably the standard like big week wow it's like that's the number that gets tossed out but like the thing about that is that i think doesn't really resonate with a lot of people or soak in when, when a lot of people think 30 hours is anymore there's there's quite a bit of intensity there you know we'll do like a bit of, you know, we'll do some stuff that's just long, like in December, but I mean, even in January, you do like a 30-hour week, and you have like a number of intervals in there, you're doing like 10-minute stuff, 20-minute stuff, 5-minute stuff, 1-minute hitters, you're doing, you're just like, I don't know. When you really sit down and look at it, like on Training Peaks or, you know, some other software, SRM, or just like man, I'm going to have a heart attack any second. <laughs> like, this is nuts. Yeah. And so, I mean, do you still find a lot of enjoyment in going out and riding your bike, or has it become a job through this process? I love riding my bike. I love going out and doing adventures, like getting out there, seeing stuff. Um, I mean, it's like my number one form of transportation and I was going to say, I'm looking at your bike right now. You, uh, you rode just, over here. It's just what I do, but at the same time, like when it comes to training, training's a job. Yeah. Riding your bike is not training. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, and you, you do probably different. have to draw that hard line in the sand to, yeah. to do it at the level that you're doing it at. Huh. Well, um, thanks a lot for coming on the show. And uh, where can our listeners find out a little bit more about you? Kind of keep tabs on uh, on what you've got going on, maybe through social media or website. Oh yeah, social media back to that um alex underscore house h-o-w-e-s excellent all right well thanks a lot and uh good luck with the rest of your season thanks for having me